Well, it's great to have a song prayed over us, ain't it? Isn't it? Sorry for you people that want to be correct. If you got your Bibles, we do have our answer to what book we're going to go through on Sunday nights. I had a message prepared for Wednesday night at Telequal, which is the same thing that happened Sunday night here. But I preached that message to Brian Reeser, and that is the landlord of the big uh, place I have leased. And I preached that to him on Wednesday evening. He had a crew of men out there, and I just turned. He said, what are you going to do? I had a funeral that day, and I come in, and my funeral clothes fixing the head. He said, what are you preaching tonight? And, man, I give him the outline, and I got ready to get back in. He said, hey. And I said, what? He said, that's Sunday morning stuff. I said, hey, it's Wednesday night stuff. He laughed, and little did I know, I got up Wednesday night at Telequal, and I never got it preached, so I guess it's Sunday morning stuff. Well, I tell you what, he's just done that to me an awful lot here lately. Uh, Monday at the funeral, I think I was telling Dave, I had three outlines laid up here with my notes at that funeral, didn't preach any of those. And uh, then had this sermon prepared for Wednesday night at Telequo and didn't preach it. May not even preach this one, who knows. But if you keep talking, it may change again. Psalms chapter 1. And I'll read the whole book of Psalms chapter 1. The whole chapter of Psalms 1. It's six verses. I don't want you to stand. I want you to soak on what I'm reading to you. It said, blessed is the man. I'm going to stop twice in the reading, and right here's the first stop. In the Greek, that translates to the plural, blessings, but it translates happy. So literally what it should read is happy, happy, happy is the man. I thought that was worth stopping for. Because it just speaks a little more when it says happy, happy, happy is the man. That's stop one. I'll only stop one more time while reading it. Blessed is the man, happy, happy, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its own season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. When I get down to verse 4, it says, The ungodly are not so. Stop number 2. The ungodly translates, not so, plural, not so, not so. Happy, happy, happy was the first stop, but the ungodly second stop, not so, not so, not so. Pretty big emphasis on the blessing and happiness, pretty big emphasis on the ungodly Not so, not so, not so. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Did you catch that? First word of those six verses, blessed. Last word of those six verses, perish. Why I say that is I learned a new word this morning, about five-ish. And that new word that I learned is antithetical. Of course, you already knew it. So I don't need to expound on it, I guess. You know the word antithetical. Thank you. I was waiting. 
we have an antithetical psalm in front of us. And after I learned what it means, we've got a whole bunch of antithetical passages of Scripture. What it means is totally the opposite. It means people can have the same opportunity, sit in the same place, but be totally opposite. In other words, this, this congregation, you people, you're sitting in the same place. You're going to have the same opportunity to respond to the Word of God. But some of you will reply, respond, totally opposite. Well, I wish we didn't have an antithetical congregation. Well, I wish everybody just respond in the right way to God's Word. But when I say it's antithetical, listen, Luke chapter 16 same opportunity, but two different destinations. So, same opportunity, sitting in the same place, but totally opposite decisions. Moses called heaven and earth as witnesses against them. He said, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Everybody was in the same spot. Had the same opportunity, but some chose blessing, some choose cursing, some choose life. Some choose death. Now, a lot of you knew what antithetical meant. And a lot of you wouldn't have had to write this down, but I did because you've got it memorized. It's the second paragraph of our Declaration of Independence. I'm sure many of you has got it memorized. But here's what it says. Declaration of Independence, second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are, if you're listening, say I am. Life. Liberty. Ready for this one? Listen real close. And the pursuit of happiness. So what your Declaration of Independence, what our Constitution, what you as an American are guaranteed. Are you listening? The pursuit of happiness. But notice I said you're guaranteed the pursuit of happiness. You're not guaranteed happiness. And Gallup done a poll and it showed that many people, although they are guaranteed the right to pursue happiness, only 30% of the people polled are happy. That means 70% of the people that are guaranteed the right to pursue happiness are not happy. That's because they are pursuing happiness. And they think that happiness comes in things or money or a career or a person. Some people think I'd be happy if I married this person. And then when they marry that person, they realize they'd be happier if they wouldn't have married that person. See, what I'm trying to say is if you pursue happiness, you won't find it. But according to Psalms chapter 1 verse 1, if you pursue God, godliness, righteousness, holiness, happiness will be a byproduct of you pursuing God. In other words, when you pursue godliness and righteousness and holiness, let me tell you, happiness is going to tag along. And so this morning I want to preach there's two kinds of men. Total opposites, but they're sitting in the same place and have the same opportunity. So it's two points, but a lot of sub-points. First point is the godly man, the happy, happy man. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor walks... In the, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, I want to say this. Modern psychiatrists tell us, if you want to tell somebody how to be blessed and how to be happy, you do not start off with the negatives. 
God starts off with the negatives. I mean, we live in a world that says, oh, you got to be all positive. And we got all this positive thinking, and we're going to have a lot of people bust hell wide open. But they had a positive attitude. I tell you, the world has come so far. Oh, just be positive. Don't be anything negative. You know what I heard? And it just about caused me to go crazy. It said, if you're an employee or employer, and your employees don't get to work on time, they're always late. Don't be negative when they're late. Just let it go. But when they get there on or before time, then be positive. And then all of a sudden you'll see the, uh, the fruits of being positive and not negative. Well, let me ask you, how's that been working? God says you want to be blessed, you want to be happy. I don't care what the world says, I'm going to start off with pointing out some negatives, some not to do things. I mean, there's just certain things if you're going to be blessed and happy that you cannot do. Talk to an athlete, talk to somebody that's on a diet. If you're going to be blessed and happy as an athlete, as a, as a, as a rodeo contender, as a person on a diet, guess what? There's a lot of things you can do, but if you want to be blessed and happy, first things you ought to figure out what you can't do. That's where God addresses this. If you want to be blessed and you want to be happy, in other words, God says, there's some things you cannot do, there's some places that you cannot go, there's some company that you cannot keep. If you listen, say, I am. There's some movies you cannot watch. There's some books you cannot read. There's some websites and social medias you cannot visit. You want to be happy, happy, happy. You want to be blessed. Don't listen to the world that says you can't start out negative. God just steps up and says, you want to be happy. You want to be blessed. I'm going to give you some things you cannot do and still be blessed and be happy. He starts out with what we cannot do. Now watch this godly man, number one, what he declines. What he says, don't want no part of. First of all, he declines bad advice. The Bible says he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, I will decline, I will not take ungodly or bad advice. Have you ever thought about this? It's been very well said, there's two recipes for disaster, and that is take no one's advice. Meaning you're going to be Frank Sinatra, I'm going to do it my way. And you've got a goal and you've got a dream, you're not taking any advice. And listen, you may eventually get there, but I'm going to tell you what, you're going to be in a ditch a long time, and you're going to be a long time of getting there. Because you won't take advice, you're going to do it your way, and it just says wreck. But then the flip side is, take everyone's advice. Isn't it something how we go from extremes? I'm not taking no advice. Oh, that ain't working for me. I'm going to take everyone's advice. And so you get advice from everyone. It's not godly. This person's got an opinion. That person's got an opinion. This person. And all of a sudden you've got all this advice and they're contradictory to one another. So you're trying to do this and then you turn right around and do this and they contradicted one another. You never get your goal. You never reach your dream. So what he says is, I'm going to decline any advice that's ungodly. I don't want bad advice. But then secondly, he declines bad association. It says, nor does he stand in the path of sinners. He said, I'm going to be careful who I hang out with. When it says stands there, Dave, that speaks of the word linger. In other words, I stayed too long. I mean, think about what I said in the opening. There's places you shouldn't go, and sometimes you find yourself in there before you know it. Listen, that's one thing, but staying's another. Get out. You flip on the TV, you flip on the social media, and all of a sudden there's an image, there's something that shouldn't be. You know you should get out. Don't linger. Get out. All of a sudden you're in a crowd and you realize by the conversation and the advice they're giving to one another, I shouldn't be here, but you linger. 
and you hang out with bad company. Huh? Paul had something to say about it, didn't he? Bad company corrupts good habits. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Show me who you hang out with. I'll show you who you are or who you're soon to be. You've got to watch who you hang out with. But let me stop and preach just a moment here. Because here's too many Christians that say, Oh, man, that's separation. I can't. It's separation, but it's not isolation. Now, there's a difference. Separation is we're in this world, but not of this world. We're careful who we hang out with. He wasn't going to have bad association. But he also knew I can't be that of isolation. There's not a prettier or a better picture than of Jesus Christ. He wasn't of this world. He was practiced separation, but he didn't practice isolation. I mean, he went to the sinners. He wanted to, he come to seek and to save. That was why, in such a way that he talked to him so much, Dave, and went to the sinners so much that they call him a friend of the sinners. He still was living a life of separation. He wasn't taking bad advice. He wasn't bad company. He was going to try to pull them out of their sin, not let them pull him into their sin. And so we need to understand, listen to me, that when it speaks of separation here, it's not talking of isolation. We are still to go to the lost. We're still to share our faith. But when we go to those, we're not to, we're not to partake of what they're doing. We're going in there to hope that they can change, not to let them change us. Christians that change the world. Are you listening? Say, I am. Christians that change the world are Christians that don't let the world change them. Can I say it one more time? Christians that change the world are Christians that don't let the world change them. You ever been around somebody that who they're hanging around or what atmosphere in determines what they are? The Christian life. It doesn't matter what crowd, and it doesn't matter who they're with. Guess what? They're Christians that want to change the world. Therefore, they don't let the world change them. He says, I decline bad advice. I decline bad association. But I also decline bad action. He says, nor do I sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, that translates, listen to this, scoffer. That's one that mocks. That's one that laughs. You know, Christians, sometimes we're the laughing stock. Oh, them people down there believe in Jesus. Anybody could start a, a religion like that and always say, yeah, they could. You could just have somebody die, bury him, and on the third day, if he resurrects from the dead, you could start your whole new religion. You ever thought about that? But they mock us. They laugh at us. They scoff at us. So are you watching this? You get bad advice if you're not careful. You'll be standing among those who give bad advice. And if you're not careful, you'll sit right down among them and pretty soon you'll be scoffing and laughing at the things of God. Is there a better picture in the Bible of this from walking to standing to sitting? than that person by the name of Lot. Let me ask you something about Lot. Didn't he have a pretty good counselor in that of his uncle? You say, who was his uncle? Is Abraham. Pretty godly man. And I believe Abraham mentored him. And I believe Lot got a lot of counsel from him. But look here. Every time you mentor somebody or you counsel somebody, I believe it's meant to be that someday your paths separate. And I believe it's meant to be that way because Adam could find somebody else to mentor and, and Lot ought to be mentored to the point that he finds somebody to mentor himself. Do you see how that should go? So here's Lot. He had great godly counsel in Uncle Abraham. But when they separated, guess what? He didn't decline bad advice. I think you can read in your scriptures where he listened to the king of Sodom instead of the king of Salem. Bad advice. And so all of a sudden he took this bad advice. He listened to the king of Sodom instead of the king of kings. 
He was walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And before you knew it, there he stood right in the middle of Sodom. I'm standing in the midst. I was walking, but now I'm standing in the midst of those that give bad advice. Have you read about him? And then they're sitting, they're, they're standing there, and one of their council seats come open. One of these seats at the gate, it come open. Here's this man that walked in good counsel, godly counsel, but now he's taking bad advice. He listened to the king of Sodom. Now he's standing among them. Oh, man, we got a council seat open. Lot. We believe you'd be the perfect guy. He was walking. Then he was standing. And then we find Lot sitting in the gate. Now what did I say? Nor sitting in the path of sin. Nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. Didn't I say that was like scoffing or laughing? So he's sitting in the gate. God says, I'm fixing to destroy it. Go let Lot know to get his family out. The angels come in. They give him the announcement. He's trying to gather his family. Sitting in the scene that's scornful, it means scoff or to laugh at. He went to his son-in-laws and said, get out. And what did they do to him? They laughed. <laughs> You're going to try to tell us that you know something about God? We've watched you take bad advice. We've watched who you hang out with. We've watched where you sit. <laughs> Whatever. If you don't live what you lip, let me tell you what happens. People scoff and they laugh at you. Oh, you can tell them they need to be saved, but you're living out of, out of wedlock. You're sexually immoral. You can tell them how to live and you can tell them God's bringing judgment, but you're lying and you're stealing and you're not worshiping and you're not attending and they're going to laugh at you. But I'm going to tell you, you begin to decline bad advice. You decline bad association. You decline bad actions. You get where you need to be with God and look here, then you can witness... And they don't laugh. They're convicted. So God goes ahead and starts off with the negative, And I think it's pretty good. Here's what, if you want to be blessed and happy, 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 here's some things you are not to do. No bad advice. No bad association. No bad actions. But then I want to point out that this happy, happy, and blessed, blessed man, not only what he declines... But look at what he delights in. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. It doesn't say his duty is in the law of the Lord. It says his delight. In other words, I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. You want me to tell you how you can decide what you delight in in the morning? When you wake up, what's the first thing you look at? Phone? TV, if you want to see what you delight in, when you get up in the morning, it'll be the first thing you go to. That's pretty simple. That don't take an Einstein to figure out. And he delighted in the law of the Lord. And you know what books he had? The first five. How can anybody delight in Leviticus? <laughs> Me too. That just touched my heart right there. This guy delighted in the law of the Lord, and he's got some pretty tough books to delight in. We've got 66 books. Wow. He delighted in the law of the Lord. And then it says he meditated in it day and night. First of all, let me just stop right here and say this. Why should you delight in the law of the Lord? Why should you delight in the Word of God? Because if you get in the Word of God, you will get to know the God of the Word. Because when you get in the Word of God, you'll get to know the God of the Word. And let me tell you why you get high-centered on certain verses and certain doctrines. Are you ready? It's because you don't know the God of the Word. Here's what I tell everybody. You come to a Scripture that seems confusing to you, 
let me tell you a simple way to fix that for you. Take that scripture and consider it in the character of God. People get high-centered, and a lot of times they don't know God good enough, and they don't know His character. If you're in God's Word, then you begin to know the God of the Word. You know His character, and I promise you, there'll be a lot less Scriptures high-center you because you know the character of God. You know what kind of God is writing to you. Do you understand that? And why we should delight in the Word of God is so we get to know the God of the Word. We'll know His character. We'll know His being. And then it says, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now get ready to get grossed out right here because you know what that means? That is a picture of an animal groaning and moaning as they chew their cud. That's what it is. And you say, why is that gross? Well, just stay with me. A cow. I'm going to give you some lessons on the cow. We was aging cows one time, and I had somebody with me, and I said, they said, I want to learn how to do that. And I said, well, just look in their mouth and tell me how old they are. They opened that cow's mouth, and they said, she don't have no top teeth. She must be old. Now, some of you are chuckling and saying, really? Cows don't have top teeth. Now, if somebody was really educational and that would have happened, they'd have said, they'd explain that. But me, I said, well, is there scars where she's lost them? Have they pulled them? Boy, I'm still just a little bit on Rihanna. Cows don't have top teeth. And you're going to get a lesson on cows right here that you didn't. See, they lose their baby teeth. You'll talk to Mark at the age. And when a cow is two years old, they got two teeth. You, you open them out, there ain't no t- top teeth, but there's two teeth that's that's there with me they're two-year-old baby teeth gone their first two sets of adult teeth are two okay you open that mouth and now there's four teeth there they are three you open that mouth you see six teeth they are four am i right here uh, uh doc so far you open that mouth and, and they have eight teeth or five. Is everybody staying with me? Now I'm really going to aggravate some of you that's been to the sale barn and bought cows that's been aged. Once they get a full mouth and them are all there, those eight teeth, that's five. So how many of you have seen a cow that's marked six, seven, eight, or nine-year-old? Let me tell you what somebody done. They just guessed. Because once that full mouth's there, then it kind of depends on what kind of ground. If they've been eating in gravel, wears on the teeth, they'll be wore a little shorter. But if they've been in lush grass, the teeth will look good, and they may be 10. I love when I sell a cow that I know how old she is, and I love to take her to the sale barn, and they call her, she's a six-year-old, and I got her birth date, and she was born 12 years ago. So is everybody staying with me? So have you ever thought about a cow, no top teeth, toothless, just gums, eight bottom teeth when she's mature, she reaches and gets a bite of grass. She must have some tough gums because she has to pull that grass up with bottom teeth and gums. She has to pull that up. And if that's all she had, let me ask you, how much nutrients do you think she'd get out of that grass? If she couldn't chew that up, if she only had what's right there, what we can see, just eight teeth and gums, how can she break that down? Now look here. She has to move that back here to the jaws. And there's jaw teeth. And I know that because I've reached down in there to fill in the mouth. And let me tell you, I don't worry about much about them biting me up there front. Get them fingers back down there in their jaws and they've got two sets. So they take that grass and they put it back to their jaws, right? And then they begin to break it down. And then they swallow it. Cow has one stomach, but she has four compartments. Am I still right, Doc? So far. 
And so the picture here is a cow, an animal that's moaning, lowing after they've been out grazing. So here's what's happening in the church. We got a bunch of Christians. You don't delight in the Lord. You don't meditate upon it. You come Sunday morning, I'll tell you what you do. You use eight bottom teeth and your gums, and that's what you get. You never move it back to your jaw teeth, and you never swallow it. And that's why we're so spiritually anemic in the church. This godly man, he gets it with his teethless top gums, with his bottom teeth, and he grabs a hold of it. And then he puts her back there. He don't swallow it till he's chewed it up real good. Then he swallows it in that first compartment of the stomach. And he's saying, man, that's good. That, that, but, man, I think there's just more there. And then the cow goes, eh! pukes it right back up in their mouth. Anybody ever puked inside their mouth? Come on, we're transparent and exciting southeast. You have ate and you have... Show your hands. You have puked in your mouth. Get them up high. There's nutrients there. Why are you spitting it out? But we get it out and we want it out fast. You know what the cow does? Boy, that was good the first time. It's got to be good the second. It's got to be better. And they chew on it again. That process happens four times. And I'm going to tell you, by the time it comes out the back, it is what it is. Because all the nutrients, they're still inside. The godly man, he gets it with his gum and his bottom teeth. He moves her back there and he chews it with his jaw teeth. He swallows her. He gets something out of it. He brings it back up. He chews on it. He swallows it again. He brings it back up. He swallows it again. That's what the picture is of he meditates on it. And if you're not meditating and chewing on what you hear on Sunday morning, don't expect to get much out of it. And all God's people said, this godly man, we see what he declines, bad advice, bad uh, bad association and bad action. We see what he delights in, and that's the law of God, and he meditates on it. He chews upon it. But notice what this happy, 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 and blessed man depicts. That means what he's a picture of. He depicts. He's a picture of it. Watch it. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither and what. Whatever he does shall prosper. He is a picture of prominence. I mean a tree. This is a tree. This ain't a plant. This is a tree that speaks of prominence. We as Christians should be prominent. But then it says he's planted. That speaks of permanence. This is a planted tree, not a potted plant. Permanent because it says right in the Scripture, its leaves shall not wither. We look at trees and the frost comes and the leaves wither and they fall off. But in the Christian life, we should always have our leaves. In other words, if you're not picking up what I'm putting down, a Christian's an evergreen. So it speaks of prominence, it's a tree, it speaks of permanence, it's planted, its leaves shall not wither, but it speaks of the position. It's planted by the rivers of water. Your position should be by the water of life. It should be in the Word. And when you're positioned by the, the river, the water, the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, then that's your position. That's where we're to position ourselves. 
And let me tell you something. You talk about an illustration here. I don't know how many of you know where I lived at Locust Grove. When, when I, me and Donna got married, man, we bought that place that I'd rented all my life. The old man that owned it wanted Rob Pierce to own it. And I got to buy it. And we began to clear the trees. That place was mostly timber when we got it. And we began to clear trees. And we began to build fences. And we began to, and you go by that now, I wonder why I left it and went and bought a bunch more trees. But let me tell you about my place over at Locust Grove. There was 70 acres on it. And I would challenge anybody, the place is still there, go over there and find me a rock. If you find a rock, let me tell you, it come from prior stone. You couldn't find a rock on that place. Don't matter where you searched, it don't matter how deep you dug, you didn't find a rock. That's pretty good till it gets so soft you get stuck and you want to rock. But let me tell you something. We begin to clear that place, those fence rows. And when we got back there by Crutchfield Creek, they'd be trees. They wouldn't be this big. And you'd think that D5 would just push them over and rock right on. But beside that creek, couldn't do it. And so I got some advice on dozing. If you want to take a tree back down back there by that creek, you're going to have to angle that blade and you're going to have to dig around that tree and you're going to have to keep digging down till you find the roots and use the blade to start cutting the roots. I want you to listen. There's a picture somewhere of me trying to take a tree out about this big around and I had dug so far down that if you took a picture level with the ground, the dozer, I had dug over the dozer height. Couldn't push it. And then when you dug all around it, then you got out of that hole and then you'd push all the dirt to one side that you've dug out. Is everybody standing with me? And you would literally build a ramp to get higher on the tree. Because if you push down here, but if you dug around and you built a ramp and you got up here, it's called leverage. What's your... So you'd build this ramp and you get up. And then when that tree started falling, at the end of that ramp, what is there? A big hole on the other side. So can I tell you that it's kind of scary taking down a tree that's planted by the waters. Hard to get down. Let me tell you what you didn't find very often on my place at Locust. You didn't find very many of the trees when a storm come blowed over by the creek. They could take the storm. When I come in from Asbury Revival, there was 14 trees down in my yard in Cherokee County. I said, you couldn't find a rock on my place at Locust. You could search every inch of it. You could dig deep. There's not an inch on my place at Cherokee County. You can't find a rock. And you don't have to dig to find them. They're on top of the ground. So when the storms come or when we're ready to clear trees, we don't need no five or no seven. We can take a tractor out there and push them over if we can get high enough. Folks, listen to me. It's where the trees position. The storms of life come, don't they? The ones that's not positioned by the river, let me tell you what the storm will do. It'll blow them down because their roots ain't deep enough. That's why Paul said be rooted and grounded in the faith. But you let the Christians, you let the storms come and they'll blow against that tree, but that tree will stand. And I'll tell you why it stands. It's all about where it's positioned in Christ. But then I want to point out not only this tree, its prominence, its permanence and where it's positioned, but how about this tree and its production? It shall bring forth fruit in its season. Do you know what the godly people are supposed to be doing? Declining bad advice, declining bad association, declining bad action. You know what Christians are supposed to be doing? Delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. You know what the Christians are supposed to depict? A tree that's prominent, that's permanent, that's positioned by the river. And they're supposed to be bearing fruits. We live in a world that says, oh, don't judge. Well, you don't have to judge, but you can be a fruit inspector. 
you'll know them by their. A godly person is going to produce fruit. And then lastly, and I'm going to hurry up. This tree, not only is it prominent, not only is it permanent, not only is it positioned by the river, and not only is it productive, but it's prosperous. The Bible says, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, you're jealous of somebody that, boy, you, you say it, boy, everything they touch, they just, they're lucky. They're just, I mean, everything they touch, it just turns into a blessing. Is it luck? Or is it just the person that has the same opportunity as you? Sitting in the same place. Got the same opportunities. Boy, everything they touch, it just turns into gold. They're so lucky. Wait a minute, they're sitting in the same, they're living on the same earth. They got the same opportunities. But their family prospers. Their business prospers. You know why? They're godly. They still have the trouble. They still have the trials. But God blesses whatever they put their hand to. I don't know about you. But I want to be godly. And he shows us exactly how to do it. But now, the second point, and remember, these people got the same opportunity. They're in the same place. I'm just now getting the second point. That's good, ain't it? Good thing there's just two of them today, isn't there? The first point was the godly. If you haven't guessed the second point, yes, it's the godless. We got the godly, and we've got the godless. Look at it. The ungodly are not so, not so, not so. Same place, same opportunities, same choices, same stuff set before him. But the ungodly, listen, he's not so. He don't delight in the law. He's not like a tree planted by the water. They're not so. Okay, well, what are they like? Well, number one, the ungodly are driven. Look at verse 4. But are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Look up here. You want to know the difference in a God-fearing person and one that wants nothing to do with God? One of them is depicted like a tree. Not just a tree, one that's planted by the water and got deep roots. What's the ungodly depicted like? What's he a picture of? The actual chaff, just a little bitty piece of shell on the outside of a grain. Come on, people. You've got a choice. Huh. Do I want to be a big, strong tree that the wind doesn't move? Or do I want to be a piece of chaff that the slightest wind carries away? It's kind of like Deuteronomy 30, 19. That's not a choice. A tree or chaff? Come on. Life or death? Come on. Blessing or cursing? Come on. But isn't it something? And thick Thank you. Antithetical crowd here today. You've got the same choices, and some choose death. Some choose cursing, and some choose to be chaff. I don't get it. So they're driven, just blown away by each and every little thing. Thinking happiness is going to find. Well, uh, happiness is in a boat. Happiness is in a, in a car. Happiness is in this. Happiness is in that. Just blown about like the chaff. But not only are they driven, they're doomed. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. Not only are they driven, they're doomed. They're not going to stand in the judgment. They built their house on the sand. They have nowhere to stand. When I say doomed, here's what I'm going to try to tell you. I'm going to go real fast. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means you're guilty. You're headed to the great white throne judgment. The jury's not crooked. The judge is holy in righteousness. You're guilty. You know it. And you're headed to a courtroom where it's going to be done right. And if you're guilty and you're headed to a courtroom where it's done right, what are you? You're doomed. 
You got that? The great white throne judgment. You're guilty. We're all guilty. We've all sinned. And we're doomed. We're headed to a courtroom where we're guilty. Ain't you glad Jesus will settle our cases out of court? Because we're doomed. But if you choose not to settle that case out of court, the ungodly, they're driven, they're doomed. But look here, they're damned. Look at the last verse. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall what? Perish. See, if you're here today and you're not saved, you're saying, Man, you mean I'm going to one day be damned? No, you're already damned. You're already condemned. You know what John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, The Son of Man didn't come in to condemn the world. He come in that the world might be saved through Him. All sounds pretty good. Have you ever read verse 18? He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe, that's the ungodly. Are you ready for this? Not going to be damned. Not going to be condemned. The Bible says... You're condemned already. If you're ungodly, you're driven. You're doomed and you're damned. Anybody, I haven't very much, but I did see his sentencing. A fellow by the name of Murdoch. Lawyer out east. Well, in that community, you would have thought he had it going on. Big-time influence, major money. But the truth comes out, he was driven. He was like chaff. He looked like a tree, but God said he's chaff. He's a driven man. Couldn't find happiness. Just blown about. Had all the money, all the power. Powerful man. He's driven. But he was driven wild by Satan. He was already a sinner But you talk about doomed. He killed his wife and he killed his kids. There was no way the court couldn't find him guilty. The evidence was all over the place. He killed his wife. He killed his kid. He's a lawyer. He was going before a judge that he practiced law with. I want you to look up here. You think that man didn't know he was doomed when he walked in that courtroom? He knew who pulled the trigger. He knew what kind of evidence there was. This was a lawyer. He was driven. And walking into that courtroom, I'm going to tell you what Murdoch knew. He was doomed. And I got to watch his sentencing. He's damned. Three life sentences. That's physical. That happened. But you're here today. You say, what's that got to do with me? If you're ungodly, if you've never been saved, whether you want to admit it or not, you're driven. You're like chaff driven by the wind. You're doomed. You're guilty and you're headed to a courtroom. And you're damned. He got three life sentences. That'll seem mild when you realize what you're damned in spiritually. You're in eternity. Never to get out. But let me just tell you how good God is. Although that's where Murdoch stands physically. When he gets in that jail cell, somebody could share with him the word of God. And though that's where he's at physically and that's what he's done, we've got a God that's full of mercy and full of grace. And he, a man that was driven, a man that was doomed, and a man that's damned to three life sentences, he can repent of his sins and he can move from chaff to a tree. He can settle his case out of court and he's no longer doomed. He's not headed to the great white throne judgment. Therefore, he won't be damned for an eternity in hell. He can spend it in heaven. We'll never understand understand this side of heaven how a man as cold-blooded as Murdoch can find the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace 
of Almighty God. Kenley, we're going to baptize you in a minute. Right here is Kenley. Raise your hand, Kenley. He walked in last week driven. He walked in last week doomed. He walked in last week damned, condemned already. That's how he walked in last week. He walked out last week not driven, not doomed, not damned, but now directed by the Lord God Almighty. We're going to baptize him in a minute. Come in driven, doomed, and damned, but didn't leave that way. Some of you come in today driven, doomed, and damned. I'm going to tell you, but Kenley tell you with a little more enthusiasm, I'm going to, don't leave that way. One Tuesday morning in an old Mack truck, I left that morning driven, doomed, and damned. Throw the ball cap on the dash. And pull back out on the road directed. Pull back out on the road that day, never to lean on my own understanding again, but to acknowledge Him in all of my ways, only to have Him what? Direct my paths. Isn't it good that we don't have to be driven, we can be directed by the Lord? Many of you have heard me tell that story about that boy, that man that took his boy to the pet store, promised him a puppy on his birthday. Got to the pet store. The pet store owner put all the puppies on the table. The little old boy walked in front of the puppies, walked in behind the puppies, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, just forever it seemed like. Daddy said, son, pick a puppy. It's a puppy. Just pick a puppy. And then the dad, they'd been there so long, he took notice of the puppy right in the middle. He didn't even look like a puppy. He was so ugly. You ever seen a puppy that didn't even look like a puppy he was so ugly? But this puppy that didn't even look like a puppy was so ugly. His old tongue was a wagon. His old tongue was just a lapping out in front. And, and none of the others was, but his was. And, and, and the dad looked at him and said, Well, God, don't let him pick that ugly one. And, and not only was his tongue out just going back and forth, his tail was just a wagon back and forth. And the dad says, Hurry up, son. And then he'd pray, Don't let him pick that one. And then all of a sudden, that little old boy put that... Ugly puppy under his arm. Didn't even look like a dog. And the dad looked at him and said, Son, why in the world would you pick that one? An old tongue was still just a flopping. That tail was still just a wagon. And the little boy turned around and showed that wagon tail to his daddy. And he said, I picked him because he's got a happy ending. I can't for the life of me figure out why anybody would choose death, cursing, and to be chaff when you could choose a happy ending. But not only a happy ending, a happy middle. What are you going to choose today? What's that word, Terry? Antithetical. Everybody here sitting in the same spot, got the same opportunity. What are you going to do with what's in front of you? Let's all stand.